Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello and welcome to The Shed Wireless podcast. Made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. It's great to have you here with me on The Shed Wireless. Thanks for stopping by. But if you're new here, we like to chew the fat about sheds and tools. We also throw in a few fishing tales and life stories. Gee, I've had some good conversations lately and you're guaranteed a few laughs today. Here's what we'll be talking about in this episode. My special guest is Mary O'Brien, founder of Are You Bogged Mate? I've learned there's a lot that men's sheds and are you bog mate have in common. We know it's important for blokes to get together shoulder to shoulder to connect, sometimes in silence, to have a community of support and to have a few good mates that make it all worthwhile. On the tools, we're in the garden with Sabrina Hahn. You might recognise the voice behind the mic from elsewhere on the airwaves. Sabrina's got some great tips for getting out in the garden during autumn. Our shedder in the spotlight hails from South Gippsland, Victoria. Max Wood joined the Leon Gatham men's shed on the proviso that he didn't have much time to commit to being part of running the shed. Well, as the story has it, he's been the president of the Shed for about eight years. Though he's seen some trials and tribulations, Max's sense of humour has got him through. This ep, we're on the road with Ken Newton, chair of the Australian Caravan Club. Ken's got a wealth of experience behind him when it comes to recreational vehicles and some great tips for both the novice and the expert grey nomads. AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance has his finger on the pulse of hearing in the shed. Stuart spoke to Soundfair CEO Caitlin Barr about making shed environments more friendly for members with hearing loss. And Rip, well, he's getting musical. What an episode. Let's get into it. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders. Across Australia and around the world, get ready to shed. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. We all get bogged sometimes, and it's happened to me too. And it can be a bit embarrassing, even shameful, to ask for a hand when you've bogged two, maybe even three or four vehicles trying to get it out. We might even be really hesitant to ask for help to get out of the mud, but we're never hesitant to help a friend. We'll all do something that'll help a mate. Are You Bogged Mate was founded almost by accident when Mary O'Brien was questioning the loss of yet another country bloke who, in her own words, had handed in his timesheet way too early. Mary is a passionate advocate for agriculture and was raised on the land. She understands the diverse challenges faced by the rural sector. After spending her whole life working in rural and remote Australia, Mary knows country blokes. She's worked with them, for them and beside them and mostly importantly, she knows how to talk to them. The unique perspective inspired the launch of Are You Bogged Mate? which is aimed to help country men with support services and break down the stigma associated with seeking help. 
Mary, it's truly a pleasure to welcome you to The Shed Wireless. For those who might not have read your article, how did this all get started? Well, thank you so much, firstly, for having me on The Shed podcast. I'm a big fan of the Australian Men's Shed, but the Are You Bogged Mate thing started, sadly, following two suicides in my area, which sort of rattled the community and made me very aware that I didn't know much about mental health and particularly men's mental health. So set me on a bit of a journey of discovery to do some reading and upskill myself. And I didn't really like what I found. So I sat down and wrote an opinion piece, just an article and um, put it out there. And in that article, I've used that analogy of mental health and depression is a bit like getting bogged. And I think people in rural Australia certainly know what that's like. And um, I guess the the probably the, the most important part of that analogy is that it doesn't matter how big or how badly bogged that machine is, we don't get out and set fire to it. We always take the trouble to get it out. So that was, the, I guess, the start of it. And um, I put the article out and turns out a few more people agreed with me. Oh, I mean, it, it, they are both wonderful analogies, especially the burning of the tractor. I, I, I just... I just thought that was priceless. You know, um, what do you spend most of your time doing? Um, driving, probably, <laughs> but driving <laughs> around Australia, Australia um, talking to to men mainly. Um, certainly, lots of mixed groups, and I do talks for ladies as well. But talking to men about, I guess, going through tough times and mental health, depression, whatever they're going through. I guess, in a different way and trying to break down that stigma and, and putting, a, I guess, a, a more blokey spin on it than than the mainstream services. Yeah, and I, I particularly enjoyed the example of uh, how do I get my husband there? Um, well, just go there. You might learn something to help one of your mates. Um, I think that's brilliant. Well, that's the the thing, and I, you know, I do strike a lot of people who, particularly women, who say, "Oh, you know, I think my husband needs to go to this, or my brother or son, or something like that." And of course, then they go and say, "You need to go and listen to this, and <laughs> it will help you." And um, blokes are a little bit a bit tougher than that, and they don't think they need it. So that I think that's, you know, the the quintessential Aussie thing to do is help our mates, and so. I just encourage them to come along, but, you know, they probably don't need it. They may not need it. They might get something out of it, but most importantly, they might actually learn something that will, in I guess, give them some skills or tools to possibly help a mate, and everyone wants to do that. Well, now that the big drought has finished, um, we've still got tough times out there. Um, what are you hearing on the road? Oh, I guess there's, yeah, there's certainly some tough times out there, and while the drought has finished in many places, they've sort of gone the other way and been, badly flooded so there's all of the issues that come with that there's certainly plenty of places in australia that are still drought declared and 30 uh, percent of queensland is still drought declared so it is um i guess it's not over every every area has got different challenges and um i think there's always going to be ups and downs and particularly living in the the great uh, harsh country that we live in it has extremes and we we see that all the time from from one end to the other so you know one might be getting floods and the other might be getting cyclones another area might be getting droughts so i think there's there's always challenges out there even when mother nature isn't throwing them at us and uh you you wrote a poem that's been uh turned into a, a song uh sung by the the wonderful ann Kirkpatrick um called waiting for the boss yes i, I wrote that song um i guess watching 
watching my father's dog when my father passed suddenly of a heart attack many years ago and watching his dog sort of watching all the comings and goings and not quite understanding. And she just sat at the back gate waiting for dad um, for weeks, months, and not still not knowing why he wasn't coming out when his boots were at the door. And so a very, I guess, sad song. I don't really write happy ones, unfortunately, but <laughs> uh, quite a sad song. And, yes, Angus Gill actually picked it up and turned it into a song with, with Alan Mackey. They moved a couple of words around and put some music to it and then got Anne Kirkpatrick to do the harmonies on it. So wow. we ended up as finalists in the Tamworth Gold Guitar Awards in January, which was pretty exciting and pretty surreal for someone like me who can't even clap in time with the music. And um, yeah, so we didn't didn't walk away with a gold guitar, but what a what an amazing experience! Well, I think that's where a lot of really good songs come from. They 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 don't necessarily come from a songwriter per se. They they come from the heart, and uh, and I think that that proves you know that um, you don't have to be a professional to write a, a decent song. There's plenty of people out there that will help you get get things over the border. Now. Losing one person to suicide is is one too many. It, the stats tell us that in Australia we lose eight people every day and six of them are men. And people in rural populations are twice as likely to take their life by suicide. What do we need to do differently? I think we actually need to appreciate that men and women are different and they operate differently, they learn differently, they grieve differently, they heal differently and I think that's what um, is is missing from the the whole discussion here and the whole approach that the one size fits all doesn't work. We need things that specifically work for children. We need things that work for teenagers. Um, you know, we need things that work for Indigenous people and 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 all sort of groups. But what's clearly missing is something that works for men, and particularly when men are the the majority of, of suicides, unfortunately. So I guess it's understanding what's driving that, that it's not always mental illness, that it's often situational stress and just the things that are going on in their life. It's it's not always a diagnosable mental illness. And I think that's a really important thing for men to understand. It's it's not um it's not always mental illness. So having it's having some different approaches that work for everybody, but there doesn't seem to be a, a huge rush to develop something for men. So um, hmm. I'd like to make a bit of noise about that. Yeah, well, I, I know this all started um, from you and your rural experience, um, but after reading the article, I, I couldn't help thinking that this really applies to just about every man. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in the country or in the city. Yes, absolutely. And I certainly get that feedback from, from men everywhere that men in the city say, well, I know you're talking about rural blokes, but your talk has, has really helped us. Like, you seem to understand men, and I think men everywhere are, have got that commonality that they they operate the same, that they prefer to to communicate shoulder to shoulder. And you know, I think that's why things like the Men Shed are such great organisations because it gets men together and they communicate shoulder to shoulder. And there's um, I've been doing a, a fair bit of research lately into the the evolutionary factors making men and women different and and men are much more likely to come together in a cohesive group and um i guess through throughout history that's why we've seen men's sporting teams sort of rise to the top and and things like that because traditionally men are, are quite good at gathering together and banding together you know mm -hmm. whether it was to form armies to fight enemies or 
for sporting teams and things like that. So men are particularly good at that and, and that's why they, you know, they love to come together in, in groups now. And I think that's really important for our society to remember that men need special things. Men need groups for just men, that women don't need to be included, that women need to have things that are specially for women, but men really need things that are just for them as well. And sadly, society, you know, just tends to, to frown on that these days and say, well, women should be included. Well, I disagree. I think certainly there's things that everyone needs to be included, but everyone needs their own special little groups as well. Yeah, exactly. I um, I spoke to one of the founders of the Men's Shed and uh, and it was such an eye-opener when it, she realised that Men's Shed was a good idea when all the men would drive into the car park, drop the women off at the club to go and have their tea and sandwiches and they'd all sit in their own cars and not talk to each other yes. for the duration. Yes, yes it's it's... That's, you know, just such a, a great story of how that started and, you know, just getting those men together. It gives them something to do and a purpose and particularly for retired men who are used to being busy and doing things and, um, you know, the upside, it gets them out of the house the way one of their wives speak to occasionally. So <laughs> it's, um, you know, getting together for men is, is such an important thing. It's, you know, it, it really dates back to, to tribal stuff and I think it's, you know, there's so much of that ingrained in our makeup and our genetics that we we need to I guess work with it and that's you know the approach that I'm trying to take is let's work with men let's not try and change them there's actually nothing wrong with them they're just men and they operate the way men operate and that's a great thing so let's not try and change them and make them operate differently Um, much easier to change the way we approach them I think (laughs) very wisely said What's next for a Uvogd mate? Oh, goodness. We're hopefully this year in a big gear of, of development and change that uh, we will get a few other things happening that a Uvogd mate does that doesn't just involve Mary driving around the country and, <laughs> and speaking. So some other things, look, we've looked at all sorts of things from resources to go into schools to um, yeah groups or getaways and all sorts of things. So um, stay tuned. There'll be some big changes this year and hopefully Hopefully we'll have um, some good outcomes from that. I guess, you know, initially we'll sort of run pilot programs to see what what works and get some feedback from the blokes themselves because that's the, the best thing to do, I think, is we'll do what we think, what we think is going to work and then we'll get their feedback and they can tell us if it actually does. So, I mean, I've, I've been in the music business for 50 years, but I can honestly say that this is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Um, yeah, wow. There's a lot of men's sheds, and are you bog, mate? They have a lot in common. Uh, we know it's important for blokes to get together, shoulder to shoulder, as you say, to connect sometimes in silence. Uh, I think you pointed that out too, just sitting by the creek, say nothing, go fishing, um, to have a community of support and to have a, a few good mates that make it all worthwhile. And Mary, I'd like to thank you very much for everything you do and what you continue to do. And thanks for dropping by the Shed Wireless. And I've got to say, that is one of the most Irish names I have ever heard because I have some Irish blood in me as well. And uh, as the old Irish saying goes, you're as Irish as the pigs of Doherty. Thank you very much for having me on. I, I do love speaking at, at men's sheds around the country and seeing the diversity in those sheds, whether they're sheds of young fellas, old fellas, doesn't matter. Um, but I, I really encourage them to 
So yeah, keep that up. It's good stuff, fellas, and and stick to your to your men's sheds. They're they're a good place for you to be, and um, you know whether it helps you or or helps out your mates. That's that's what it's about. So thank you very much. And I hope we meet face to face one day, Mary. Bye bye. It'd be great. Thanks, thanks, John. Bye. If you're feeling bogged and need some help, please reach out for help immediately. Lifeline is a twenty four hour crisis support and suicide prevention service. Call on 131114 or visit lifeline.org.au. If you know someone who might be bogged, you can find out more about how to help at areyoubogmate.com.au or mensline.org.au. On the tools, on the shed wireless. You're in for a real on-the-tools treat today. We're in the garden with a certified horticultural expert you may recognise. AMSA's resident handyman, so he likes to call himself Marty Least, caught up with Sabrina Hahn to chat autumn gardening. I'm going to listen hard. Thanks, JPY. Now, I'd love to share our next guest's full bio, but with this only like a 15-minute interview... So that'd chew up a considerable amount of time, so I'm just going to have to abbreviate a little bit here. Sabrina Hahn has been involved in the horticultural industry in Western Australia for over 35 years. She has an extensive knowledge of flora, soil science, botany, landscape design, particularly designs that are more sustainable and suited for both soil type, climate and topography. She's highly respected as a professional expert and published author in the horticultural field, and her long-term experience and professional reputation in the industry has made her a very influential consultant for local and state governments on a regional and urban planning. But our listeners might best know her, especially our Western Australian listeners, as a presenter and talkback host on Gardening for ABC Perth for over 27 years. Must have started when she was about 10, I reckon. I think one of her segments is called Roots and Shoots. I assume that is a gardening program. But as an Easterner, I know Sabrina the best as I'm one of these people that wakes up early early mornings, I put the radio on or the headphones in, listen to the radio, and on a Tuesday morning I hear her on the Overnights program talking with Trevor Chappell and it is a very stimulating conversation, bucket loads of knowledge, splashed with a dose of humour and a very infectious laugh. Sabrina Hahn, my first question to you is, who the hell looks after your garden as you know, <laughs> a spare minute of the day to even water yours? That's where I go, great, I've got like an hour and I'm just going to get out there and go gung-ho on something, which is usually, I have to say, pruning or, or digging stuff up and moving it. It's like my plants are on wheels. Um, so it's because it, I look at gardening as my downtime, like that's my relaxation time. I know that sounds weird, um, but I just love being in a garden and it's so de-stressing and relaxing. There, There is science behind it, isn't there? It's such as the mindfulness part of gardening. Absolutely. Uh, indulging Absolutely. in something that you love and you can just lose yourself yep. and stay alone. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm like that mowing my lawn. I love mowing my lawn. That's my, my And mind. I love the smell of freshly mown lawn. Yeah, delicious. Delicious. Oh. Should, that's an aftershave, I reckon. <laughs> Sabrina, I'm not sure how familiar you are with men's sheds, but nearly every men's shed that I know of has some element of gardening involved. And yeah. some are quite extensive. In fact, I've seen permaculture, aquaculture, yep. 
they've got nurseries, yep. they've got community gardens. Yep. I think you'd be very, very impressed. Do you have much do you have much experience with men's sheds or do you know much about Absolutely. them? Absolutely. I've actually been invited into quite a few men's sheds. Um to look at their works. Look, I think it is the most fantastic organisation and I know that when we had lockdown in COVID for, you know, women talk to each other and and hug each other and share, you know, weeping and laughing and and for a lot of men that's that's much harder to do. And I know um that during COVID that the men's shed was so vitally important for men's health and well-being. And I do a lot of gigs in the country um, because the ABC is, you know, really important with poor bastards. It's the only station they can get. Um, so I, so I, I sort of see the impact that something like the Men's Shed has, particularly in regional areas. But you know what I love about the Men's Shed is that they, they experiment with stuff. Like they're so resourceful. So they make bird boxes and bat boxes and raised garden beds and they and you know the great thing about the men's shed is the men when they go in there they're allowed to fiddle with stuff. So it's when you fiddle with stuff that you you learn how everything works and to have you know the older fiddlers <laughs> there with the young with the young fellows coming up who learn that it's okay to fiddle with stuff and make stuff and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but you know you have to alter the plan you have to change things and that is for me that I, you know fiddling is so important in the garden because basically that's what we do. We fiddle with plants all that, the time. I find that too, and it's, it's such a, um, a trial and error thing too with gardening. And if you can yeah. have someone there to share knowledge and you know just share ideas, and it's like this one. I've made this many mistakes. Yeah. Uh, my mate over here has made this many mistakes. We can yeah. share our knowledge, and we're we're a little bit further forward than we were yeah. while we were more by ourselves. And definitely, uh, yeah, definitely. I know. Myself, when I during the lockdown, I started my own little veggie garden, and it's just such a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. I've killed so many plants, Sabrina. Oh my god! You know, when when COVID hit and everyone went, oh, I'll grow all my own food because there won't be any in the supermarket. Yeah. I reckon ninety percent of veggie seedlings went to a very early death. <laughs> yeah, I reckon they did too. <laughs> oh, oh boy! In fact, I was just reading a story this morning. It's on the Ampsa blog about a shedding gunda guy that. Um, they use they've used secondhand uh, the food grade IBC tanks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. So they've made forty seven wicking beds for their community garden and old truck guards to build mushroom beds. That's in I think wow. that's in Gundagai, New South Wales. Just, yeah. it's just amazing what they've they've put together and isn't yeah. it awesome? And it's that it's the collective knowledge of a group doing it together. Yeah, and they've got a little table there. It says, "Take what you need, give what you can." Yeah. So to the community, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big, big supporter of men's sheds. It's vitally important for men to have that space. Yeah, we can we can be fickle creatures, us men, and we we're very <laughs> we're very um I don't know very. Uh, uh, you just need your own space, is yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and but the thing is, like the gardening and the tinkering, as you say, and the, the fiddling, yeah. as you call. It. I have to remind ourselves we're talking about gardening <laughs> here all the time. But the tinkering is um 
it's it's about using your someone said using your hands helps you open your mouth sort of it thing. does absolutely totally. yeah. yeah fantastic so i've got you here for a reason so yes. we'd like to talk to you on a seasonal basis sort of thing yep. and, and the seasons are changing somewhat now and yes. although many parts of australia are still pretty bloody hot at the moment yes. and seasons yes. are sort of shifting a little bit but we're, yes. we're being in autumn now so I want to know from a personal point of view and for the sheds out there, what sort yes. of things should we be considering in the garden at this and to prepare for the cooler months, I guess? Yeah. So the, the interesting thing about climate creep, so we are still getting warm nights, even though we've got shorter daylight hours, we're still getting warm nights and the warm weather is going through into April. So traditionally... Yeah. The 1st of March was the beginning of autumn. But in many places, that is not the case. But the great thing is we've got this window where there's summer veggies like eggplants and tomatoes and pumpkins and um, all the other melons and um, capsicums and chilies. They will actually keep producing for another two months. Yeah, wow. However, it's cool enough to start putting in our autumn winter veggies. So things like all the cabbages, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, garlic, onions. So all those sorts of things, it's a fantastic time of the year to put all those things in. It's still hot up in the northern parts of Australia, so I would wait for at least another three weeks, but your summer veggies will carry you through. Um, so all those leafy greens and things like, you know, real spinach, it, yeah. it, you, we're putting all those sorts of plants in. And people that have no taste buds whatsoever will even start planting kale, which is the most disgusting vegetable yeah. on the planet. Never been a fan, no. No, no. no it's like it's like smelly socks, really. Um, <laughs> and peas, you know, great time to put your peas in. So. Okay. All those sorts of things and carrots and turnips, and which are equally as disgusting as kale, but yeah. parsnips. Um, so all those veggies are fantastic to put in now. And by the time, so if you're sowing from seed, yeah. um, that you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks for germination, but you're ahead of the game when the weather cools down. So you can put in seed or seedlings of all those veggies now. Do you recommend growing from seed or? I love growing from seed because uh, it's cheaper. You yep. get a much bigger variation of different types of plants when you use seed. So there's a lot of heirloom seed that is now available. So you've got a much broader range of veggies that you grow from seed. The only seed I would recommend that you shove straight in the ground are peas. Anything with a fine seed, you are much better off sowing them in a seed-raising tray first. Yep. And then once they've germinated, put them in the garden. Okay. Brilliant. Because things like parsnips, they can take three months to germinate. Yeah, okay. And then well, you forget you forget they're there. Really? Right, right. <laughs> that leads me to another question. I I planted some asparagus probably twelve months ago. Yeah, and I suppose I think you're supposed to leave that for three years or something. Yeah, yeah. Let the spears go into the fern because it's the fern that feeds that really weird witch's broom 
system it has. It's gone crazy, but I'm just thinking, what do I do with that? Do I just leave it and let it go? There's been a couple of sprouts of asparagus I've been tempted to pick, but I've just left yeah, it. No, 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 just leave it. Don't don't peak too early now. Just yeah, leave right it. There we go again. There we go again. <laughs> and then in June, yeah. you're going to cut it right down to ground level and cover it in mulch. Wow. Now, now it's interesting that asparagus loves salt. So people put seaweed on as a mulch really thick when they cut it down in June. You really do know stuff, huh? Oh, mate, I've been around a long time. <laughs> and you know stuff too. So what else in the garden? Is it a pruning season? Is it a time yeah. where we put out flowers and like it's not really a flowering yeah. season, is it? But what else are we doing? So now that because um, we're talking men's shed here, yeah. So I do have to bring up a point about pruning. You do not have to prune everything with a chainsaw. Oh, that, well, I've got a little mantra. My mantra is the bigger the tool, the better, the better and easier the job. But, oh, look, uh, mate, I, I love tools. Oh, Don't get me wrong. I've got, I've got two different size chainsaws. I've got a reciprocating saw. Right. I have drills that will drill through anything. I've got whole saws. I've got the lot. I love the tools. <laughs> good, but, good to hear. But the big problem is, I don't know what it is. So when you start using a chainsaw on something, a different kind of devil comes out in you and you get this rush of adrenaline. And then when you step back, you go, oh, I have a stick. (laughs) Exactly. And usually the other members of the household are not happy with with the technique, shall we say. There are times where you need to be pretty ruthless, aren't there? Or... Absolutely. Like with citrus trees, lemon trees, yeah. every six years I cut mine down to four limbs with nothing left wow. on them. Not wow. a single leaf. Wow. Nothing. Wow. Lucky you weren't a hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But so... autumn pruning's great because you prune all your summer flowering stuff. Yeah, okay. A lot of natives are um, flower in summer, so hook into them. And personally, I think if you don't prune natives, they end up woody and scrappy and horrible and you have to rip them out and buy a new plant and put it in, which is always fun as well. So any of the summer flowering stuff you prune now. And then anything that's deciduous you prune in winter. Okay, okay. I need, I should be taking writing things down, shouldn't write, I? Write, write this down. You'll be able to listen to this on the podcast. Good point, good point. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you need to tidy stuff up as well. Like if you've yeah. got cycads and all the lower leaves look pretty crappy, whip them off. They're the reciprocating saw is magic for that, I have to say. Yeah. Um, reciprocating saw for bananas if you've got too many suckers coming up. You can knock them off now for sure. Crepe myrtles, as soon as they finish flowering, you use the little chainsaw on that one. You know the one with the little 12-centimetre long blade? Yeah. That's a handy little doer, that one. It certainly is, yes. Um, Righto. Use that for your firewood as well. Um, And kangaroo paws. Now, people do not prune kangaroo paws hard enough, so the perfect tool... Because in autumn, you are going to hammer your kangaroo paws. I do mine with the whippersnipper. 
Yep. So I prune mine down to 10 centimetres high, take the whole lot off, and then if you want to, you can dig them up and divide them as well. You're a maniac. Yeah, I am. I, I, see, I love the tools. I get it. I get but, it. I totally I mean, love the tools. But I ha- I, you're right, though. There's sometimes I've, I've had, well, you know, stripped something back and say, oh, geez, I've gone a bit nuts there, but it has just come back in abundance. Yep. It's amazing. Absolutely. Pruning yeah, thought, is good. I thought you sometimes think, oh, God, I've killed it, but no, no. you've just done it the best thing for it. But, yeah. Yep. Yep, so lemon trees, you can go hard. You can't be like that with orange and mandarins, but you can do it on lemons and limes. Brilliant. Mm. Righto. Yeah. All right, good to know. Nothing wrong with a good prune. Well, I hope the shedders out there are getting a few tips here and they they know where to find you. You know, you've got plenty of books out there and um, they can hear you on the radio anytime. They They can. You know, 3 o'clock in the morning if they want to do it. But now, that, but now they can hear you on the Shed Wireless podcast, isn't that true? Exactly. I, and, and I am a big supporter of the men's shed. I think the, the shedders are a, a bloody good mob of people. They're not a bad bunch of blokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant, Sabrina. That's been so so great. It's so good to talk to you. So good to have you on board with the, the Shed Wireless podcast. And we are going to speak to you in the future, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the winter. And I'll, I'll let you know what I've killed and what I've saved. <laughs> <laughs> we can share notes. Sounds fantastic. Thanks so much, Sabrina. All no right. worries. That's Bye. You, Thanks. What a hurt Sabrina is. I'll be taking on some of her pruning advice. Have you had any pruning disasters known to go a bit crazy with a chainsaw? I'd love to hear about it. Drop me an email at theshedwireless at menshed.net. Shedder in the Spotlight. Let's meet and learn about the life of one of our shedders. Welcome to the Shed Wireless, Max. Now, at 87 not out, that's a very good innings. Can you tell me about your early years and and where you grew up? Okay, my early years, I was born and bred in a place called uh, uh, Wellspool, which is on the, Mm -hmm. just off Wilson's Promontory on the bottom of Victoria. Uh, yep. I've uh, brought, on, brought, on, brought up on a dairy farm and milked cows uh-huh. for 40 years. <laughs> My goodness. Now, I've got, a, I've got a friend who was brought up on a dairy farm and he tells me that um, in the cold weather, there was nothing finer than taking off your, 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 uh, your shoes and sticking them into the, uh, the fresh cow pat to keep your feet warm. I've got a better one than that. <laughs> oh, tell me. <laughs> Nothing better than helping a cow carve on a cold, cold day. You keep your arm warm. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> now, you had, uh, you had a bit of a brood there, Max. You had five girls. <laughs> yeah, five daughters. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and 13 grandkids now, yeah. Uh, wow, that's fantastic. They keep well, you alive, don't they? It is what it is, you know. Yeah, absolutely. No, the men's shed does that. Yeah, oh, does it? Oh, great. That's yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, no. So how, how, did you, how did you come to be involved in the men's shed? So after, after my 40 years on the farm down at Walshpool, 
uh, we mm -hmm. sold the farm, retired to Langatha, and and that was just over thirty years ago. So I've been here in Langatha for thirty years, and got heavily involved in a, a golf club here and several other places. <laughs> Can't help myself. We we uh, <laughs> the men's shed. There was they started the men's shed here in 2011 or 12. The first meeting, mm -hmm. I think, was 2011 to form it. And the guy that yep. the guy that was doing that, sort of getting it off the ground, uh, went around to lots and lots of different people, seeing if they were interested. I said, yeah, of course I'm interested, but I said I'm, I'm too busy to take on any official jobs. He said, yeah, no, that'll be fine. We'll bug them here. I've been president now for, I don't know, eight or nine years or something. Huh? <laughs> so. <laughs> that didn't last long? <laughs> didn't last long at all, no, no. <laughs> but I spent, I spent a lot of my earlier, earlier days here in Leongatha uh, involved with a golf club, which I became a life member of and, and spent lots and lots of time over there uh, and I'm still involved with them uh, but my men's shed is my main focus and mm -hmm. love doing what I do but I'm trying to encourage others to take over uh, but they're not all that <laughs> they won't put their hand up you know <laughs> it's just people within the shed hey. uh, maybe you need some new blood mate you need some new blood in there maybe well, we've just built a new shed. We've just moved into a new shed in October, and that uh -huh. that is that is creating some new blood. Yes, there are there is a bit of interest again now. So, what and, is it that you really love about the shed? In in my case, uh, it saved me life. It's got me because um, I lost lost my wife eight years ago in a in a pretty bad car accident. Uh, oh, that's and sad, mate. Yeah. Oh well, that's you know that's history, and you can't change stuff. Um, no. So I I feel I feel in my own little mind um, I've been involved heavily involved with the men's shed, and there'd hardly be a day in the week go by when certainly in the last five years when I haven't really had something to think about for the men's shed. So in that oh. sense, in that sense. It's it's given me an aim and 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 um, something to work for, you know, to keep my life going. Yeah. And what, what what's your favourite thing to do there, mate? At the moment, my favourite thing is bossing them around, telling them to do this <laughs> and to do that. All right. <laughs> I, I can't do much myself now. I've only got one eye. Only got one eye, and I've got a very bad leg. And, so I can't actually oh, see yeah, like, see stuff good enough now for me to work and do and and do made anything. So as president, yeah. I can delegate. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it works out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, when when you were on the tools, were you a wood man or a metal man? No, wood man. Being brought up on a farm. Yeah, yeah, you're a jack of all trades. You have a go yeah. at every little thing, you know. So, 
So you learn as you learn as you're growing up how to do different things, and if you do it badly, you do it better next time. You know, uh, yeah. just a learning process your whole life. Yeah, and you have got the right name for uh, for wor- working with wood. Matt yeah, yeah, wood. yeah. Wood, wood's fine. Yeah, you're born yeah. into it. Yeah, I'm told here that uh, you were making cement bricks for the. Uh, for the hall oh. at the basketball stadium in Welshpool. That's that. So that story. Um, that story. I'm not 100 percent sure now, but I think I was still at school, like 15 or so, when when the working the the old the old hall had been burnt down a few years before, and this was oh, 48 or 49 somewhere around there, and they uh-huh. were were raising funds to build a new hall. Uh, and they were mixing uh, cement and and setting those bricks in 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 little little boxes. I uh, can't think of what you call mm-hmm. them. Uh, so yeah, I was involved in that with a little cement mixer. And ever and ever oh. since then, ever, everything that happens, you in those days, you all hopped in and did stuff. You know. Let me let me give you a an old bloke's. Um, uh, interpretation of of the world situation i've been lucky enough to live in the absolute best time of this and that's the period from 1950 to 2000 that 50 years mm-hmm. couldn't have been a better time to be living in in yeah. terms of you had to work and you all got on with each other and 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 everything rolled along smoothly or you made it roll along smoothly so what do you think of the world today then, Max? A mess. <laughs> it's a mess. Bit of a mess. <laughs> Bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fix it. I'm not going to fix it, okay? <laughs> no, it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> but it's good, you even, it's good you thought I even passed you by, mate. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, you know, John, I, I do honestly think that period – in in our history from from 1950 uh, through to 2000, it just was just a great time to be growing up and living. You know. Yeah, it certainly was, mate. It certainly was. You, you basically you've uh, you've picked on my birth year there, 1950. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so well, that's fine. A good part of it too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. I'll tell you yeah, what, Max, uh, I hope you yeah. have many more, many more years there at the Leongatha Men's Shed. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. I hope I haven't given you the wrong information. <laughs> i got another little wisdom for you, okay? Okay. One of the luckiest things I have in my little head is a sense of humour, and that uh-huh. sense of humour has got, got me by in, in, all yeah. sorts of, in all sorts of situations. And you've got to be able to yep. have, you've got to see a little funny side of even the worst situation. Well said, mate. Well said. Thank you so thanks, much for, you. for joining thanks us at the Shedder in the Spotlight, Max. And thanks for your years of dedication to the Shed and the whole Shed community. It's, uh, it's been an absolute delight. Max Wood, thank you. Thank, thank you, John, so much. Okay. We acknowledge the Bunurong people, the traditional custodians on the land on which the members of the Leongatha Men's Shed meet. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present.
on the road on the Shed Wireless. Today we're on the road with a special guest who knows all about being on the road, literally. Ken Newton, the chair of the Australian Caravan Club, has joined me today. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, John, and uh, I hope it's going to be a great session today. I'm sure it will. Now, the name Australian Caravan Club seems pretty self-explanatory, but I know you're about to tell me that's not quite the case. Can you tell us about the club? Is it just for caravan owners? Okay. Well, John, a group of caravan owners felt years ago that the existing recreational vehicle clubs did not focus enough on protecting and representing the interests of owners of caravans. Uh-huh. It was initially founded back in September 2006 at a caravan park at Caloundra in Queensland. Okay. What happened was the organisation realised that people would transition between caravans and other vehicles, and you may have seen it yourself, where people get to a certain stage of life where they jump into a motorhome, for example, or yeah. a trailer or something like that. So. We have an expression which says we're the club for all RVers. So mm-hmm. we have we have events all over Australia and uh, pro- predominantly they are caravans, but we have a growing number of other vehicles as well. Right. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, like right down to your little club, your little club uh, uh, caravans, you know, that, that sort of expand into unbelievable... <laughs> <laughs> So yes, you're right. Yeah, you don't have to have a, a huge caravan. And like you say, you, you're starting to drag in the RV uh, people. Mm. Yes, and the, the Caravan Industry Association of Australia actually have listed, and if I go through quickly the list, maybe the listeners will be able to pick it up, but there are mm. things like tent trailers, like a box trailer that unfolds with a tent. That's uh, what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then there's the next version of that, which is the camper trailer, uh, okay. a step up from the. That's a step up from the tent trailer, and right. these are generally these are more comfortable and more convenient, uh, but still easily towed by smaller vehicles. And then you go along to the pop top caravans, where the the roof comes down to give you less height um, and better clearance in, like you know going through in parking into a carport yeah some of the low some of the low bridges around less wind resistance too as you're traveling exactly right and then you go to one which is uh, a little bit rarer the slide on camper where you back your utility up under it and then lower it down and secure it on then the other one would be the what they call the fifth wheeler which is four wheels on the ground but the coupling is in the back of an open utility bit like a truck connection uh, and then oh. of course you've got, car- you've got caravans and then you've got uh, different types of motorhomes yeah yeah i've seen that uh, like like the uh, the horse floats you know with the yes yeah fantastic now i had a look at your website very well put together indeed i i thought it was uh, quite quite a, a feather in your cap how many members do you have well, we've got a couple of thousand members around the country. Uh, uh-huh. We have uh, branches pretty much in every state. Yep. And we also have, um, in that group of members, we've got a great group of people. And what's happened is we've even got a group called the Lone Trekkers, people on their own, mm-hmm. travelling on their own, but they all meet together at a destination. All right. 
Fantastic. Now, there seems to be a lot of caravans, motorhomes, camper trailers, tent trailers <laughs> and the like on the roads all the time these days. Have you got a bit of insight into the Australian recreational vehicle industry that you can share with us? Certainly, John. If I can just run through some numbers to give you a feeling for the size, yep. um, you are correct. There's a lot of RVs on the road. In fact, on Australian roads on any day, there are between 80,000 and 120,000 travelling, moving recreational vehicles. Wow. And at Easter time last year, they did an estimate, the industry did the estimate between Good Friday and Easter mm -hmm. Monday, and they had 1.2 million movements on Australian roads. <laughs> That's incredible. Now, I suppose it's, um, you know, the, the age-old uh, problem or whinge, I suppose, from your normal drivers is bloody caravans. Um, <laughs> you know, now... I think that's probably just about disappeared from our world now with the with the amount of freeways that we have in the country now. Yeah, and and that's true. We we do have a bit of a problem in New South Wales with uh, road tolls. Unfortunately, oh, uh, unfortunately, if you drive a caravan or a large motorhome through a tollway, they charge you like a B double semi trailer fully loaded vehicle. Oh, well, there's something that you, you and your mob can start lobbying for a better deal, I'm sure. We we did that. We did that back in uh, May last year, yep. and we um, had a conversation regarding all that, and we said to them that uh, it's important. New South Wales people can claim it back, but if you're visiting from other states, you can't claim it back. So um, it's a worry, and it's a genuine concern because, look, to be honest, this industry is growing quite a lot. To give you an idea, yeah. um, Australia has a very strong love of caravanning and recreational vehicles per se. Yes. So we had it last year. We broke a four-decade-long record of manufacturing. We actually yeah. manufactured in this country over 23,900 vehicles hmm. and a significant 42% rebound from the 2020 year and 12% higher compared to pre-pandemic conditions back in 2019. So mm. this this demand is strong, but it was further complemented by a record supply of imported caravan trailers with 18,917 units brought into the country. This was a 79% increase from the previous year. So we ended up with over, over 42,000 new recreational vehicles entering the market last year. That's that's incredible. That leads you to, to my next uh, question. Um, mm. you know, and this is going to be relevant to a lot of people out there in the sheds. Uh, caravans, they're a pretty expensive investment, especially mm. for us relatively new to the grey nomad lifestyle. What's your advice on getting the right caravan before they drop a few pennies on them? Right. Okay. So... I think if I give you one of my favourite expressions before we talk, and that is disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's be real and not get caught up looking at things that are not suitable. So sure. in, all honest, in all honesty, John, it starts with assessing your needs and your expectations. For example, do you need a recreational vehicle for once a year annual holiday? Do you need an RV every long weekend? 
Are you buying it to travel extensively around Australia? Are you going off-road? So get through that first and then having specified your needs, then look at the tow vehicle and decide what caravan size and what weight your car can tow legally because when you don't have that that legal requirement being met, you are travelling with no insurance at all. Oh, now that's a very important point because I, I'm I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people out there don't realise that there is a a speed limit uh, when you're towing something. Well, the there used to be years ago, and unfortunately, we don't have a national road system everywhere with the same rules everywhere. But basically, uh, the biggest problem is people see something like, "Oh, my car can tow three point five ton." and they go out and buy a 3.4-tonne caravan. <laughs> no, wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, because when, when you put products into, the, into that caravan and you fill the fridge up and then you fill your water tanks up, you're already over the limit. It's too late. <laughs> wow, simple, simple things like that. Yeah, yeah and, and look, my best advice is this. Um, when you've worked out what you want to do, be aware of those hidden weights and then do something very intelligent. There are RV shows around Australia. There's one every about every three weeks, to be honest, in the country somewhere. And there's a big one coming up in Sydney, a big one coming up in Melbourne uh, and Brisbane and so on. There are these shows. Go to them after you've done significant research and ask other RV owners of their experiences before attending those big shows. Use those RV shows to refine and and sort of tune your search down to the detail. Then if you see a bargain, you can understand it. You can buy it at the show with confidence, knowing you've done the required preliminary research and not been caught up in the moment by a fast-talking salesperson offering you a special discounted show price. And the other issue is this. To be honest, John, why don't you go out and hire what you think is the caravan you want to buy before you make that big financial commitment and get a feeling for, for what, what it does and what it can do for you? Well, Ken, I, I think that is uh, absolutely fantastic advice, you know, because, I mean, it, it, going to a caravan show or whatever and just looking at caravans is one thing, but mm. uh, actually asking the people there, uh, for their uh, opinions, uh, and obviously there's going to be a lot of people there with a lot of experience, who have yeah. uh, who have done the, the probably the trip that you're planning. So that's mm. um, th- that's a, that's a great piece of advice. Now, Ken, we're going to be coming back and talking to you quite a few uh, a few times over the year. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's 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 great to have you uh, as part of the part of the shed wireless. It's fantastic, and uh, it's been a pleasure and a real eye opener. Uh, so. We'd love to have you back on the road again quite soon. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. On the Pulse, on the Shed Wireless. On the Pulse today, we're chatting to Dr. Caitlin Barr, CEO of Soundfair, all about hearing in the sheds. I'm Stuart Torrance, the Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association. Today, we've got our finger on the pulse of Listen Up. We've been down in a shed down in Hayfield, Victoria, on a shed open day, sharing important information to the guys and uh, the shedders from around that area. Caitlin joined us on that day. I'd like to bring Caitlin in. Caitlin, tell me, what did you think of that open day and uh, meeting all the uh, shedders for the first time? Hi there, Stuart. Great to be here. I was so pleased to, to meet the shedders on that day. And do you know what struck me is how they all love to 
communicate and how important it was to be physically around each other, but that actually their presence wasn't just being there. It was in the way that they communicated, you know, the, the words the that he said, the, the nonverbals, you know, it was actually about interacting with each other, not just doing something together. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, there was a lot going on on that day, and everyone was important, and everyone had something to do. A uh, bit of a madhouse, but it was uh, a fantastic day, and the guys put on a fantastic e- event for us all. They sure did. They had it well set up. Caitlin, let me start by saying: Have you noticed many times people ask you to repeat things? I, I don't know whether I'm speaking too softly. Is it a concentration thing? I never listen to what Stuart say, you know, are they being dismissive of me or is there a hearing issue here? Look, hearing shows up in so many different ways and hearing suffers the consequence of being the butt of many jokes, Stuart, and, and being hidden, you know, it's invisible. So oftentimes if people are noticing they have to ask for repeats or they feel like people are mumbling, uh, it's easy to dismiss that as blaming the speaker, the person speaking. Yeah. Um, but actually it should be a little indicator that it's worth finding out what's happening with your hearing um, because it, it can be the first sign. So how, how many times in a day do you, do you have to do that to make it ring alarm bells for you? <laughs> uh, uh, it depends, I think, on the person you're talking to. So, Stuart, if it's the first time I've met you, um, yep. you have a lovely accent as well. So, you know, for someone that might add to the equation. And if it's mm-hmm. the first time they've met you and they're asking you for a repeat, I think that's understandable, especially if you're in a noisy place like a you know a shed might be. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you're noticing the people who you know in your life and you're familiar with their voices, mm-hmm. it's a frequent occurrence that you have to ask, ask for a repeat or you misunderstand what's yeah. been said um, and, it, you know, the flow of conversations change where you miss the butt of the joke, then it's time. Yeah. To- you actually mentioned um, a language or, or an accent. Mm. I, I'd never actually considered that. I don't see myself as having an accent, but you pointed out, so, yes, I must have one. Um, but, yeah, I'd never actually considered that and, and Sheds being so multicultural uh, in quite a lot of instances, it, it might be difficult uh, to pick up on on the nuances of different people speaking. So maybe I should be a little more considerate when people ask me to repeat things again and again. Yes. And, you know, noise is an interesting one. Like how, how noisy would a shed be on average? Because obviously there's lots of activity happening. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about the uh, the shed workshop environment. There's yeah. a lot of tools going on. There's mm-hmm. a lot of um, general clatter and banging with uh, things being moved around. How much does that machinery noise actually affect the uh, the, the hearing capacity and, uh, and ability? Like, is it an echo? What what are we talking uh, about that causes the, the, the problem on the hearing end with a noisy environment? Well, there are two parts to that. One is what's the role of noise in causing a hearing problem? And then the second part, which I think is what you were asking, is how does that environment make it harder to communicate and hear no matter your hearing level so I'll answer the second bit first so basically the presence of background noise means that our brains have to work a lot harder to filter you know our brains are just a big computer um filter out what is the noise or the sounds that I want to listen to and what don't I want to listen to and second to that 
the bit that I'm listening to, how do I piece together the kind of messed up information into a, a sentence or words that make sense? And so um, the more familiar you are with this person speaking, the more other information you get, like can you see their face um, and lip read or can you see their gestures? Do you know the topic of conversation? All those things. So you're looking, so you're looking for prompts yeah, in, and in, in the conversation, yeah? Extra context, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so if you know that the person you're talking to is passionate about a specific sort of woodworking um, and, you know, it's reasonable to think then that that's probably the topic they're talking about, you are more likely, you know, your brain puts together all you all you know about that person, all you know about that topic, and you're more likely to pick out keywords. So in those instances, noise can have less of a problematic impact. Um, also how close you are to that person, like physically. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're standing metres away, sound reduces and the background noise just washes it away. But if you're standing shoulder to shoulder, then that's um, the closer you are, the easier it is to understand. So you were talking just then about lip reading um, <laughs> and do, do a lot of people actually do that purposefully? Like is it a taught skill or is it something that we just do inherently? You know, um, it's for, for everybody we lip read to varying extents and it's basically you, a skill you kind of have or don't have or the kind of spectrum is relatively natural. But through these COVID years and mask wearing, for a lot of people it became obvious to them how much lip reading matters to understanding the whole message, especially for people with hearing loss, but even people without um, a change in their hearing. So has COVID actually brought out people's hearing loss or or exacerbated the problem uh, of hearing loss because they've now lost that sort of element of of lip reading? Yeah, uh, certainly exacerbated the issues that they face in their day-to-day life, yeah. Through the, you know, through the peak of COVID, we were seeing the rates of, um, mental ill health, anxiety and depression go through the roof for, for for lots of people, but especially people with hearing loss because there was this sense of isolation broadly and then an added layer that even when you did see people, you, you couldn't even communicate. I did see some research on uh, dementia and hearing loss um, uh, and how hearing loss is an indicator. Was that is that something I've just read or I've made up? No, you haven't made that up. So this has become quite an interesting topic since 2020. There was a big, really well-respected journal who published an article that basically said that hearing loss, untreated hearing loss in midlife is the largest, these are science words which I'll explain, the largest modifiable risk factor for dementia um, and that up to 8% of dementia cases worldwide could be attributed to hearing loss. Um, this is this is huge. So basically what that is, is saying is that if you have hearing loss, the impact that has on your cognitive function, your kind of social connection, your regular communication um, and the way your brain works, all of those things together put you at greater risk of cognitive decline. The interesting second part to that is, well, that's talking about untreated hearing loss. So if you treat hearing loss, is it reversed? And that's where the research is still being worked oh, okay. on. Um, but I did hear, I did hear the word modify modifiable, and I, and I went, oh, okay, there's hope. 
there is hope. There is hope. This isn't this isn't a doom and gloom story. Basically, you know, the research is still coming, but in short, it encourages us to a look after your hearing. So try and avoid hearing loss if you can, and b do something about your hearing and do something early. We do know that on average it takes people 10 years to do something about their hearing loss after noticing it. Like it's a long time um, in a person's life. So this this kind of area of work is saying do something about your hearing when you notice it, be that hearing aids or, you know, learning Auslan or, or using devices for the TV, whatever keeps you connected and interacting. We're still waiting for the kind of finite research, but it's indicating that doing that will reduce your risk factors for cognitive decline. Now, I spoke with, it was Melissa, I believe it was, um, last year or the year before? Yes. yes. <laughs> last year, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Melissa was talking about um, how if we actually um, looked at our environment and we specifically spoke about the shed environment, uh, ensuring that it was well lit, <laughs> and that way you get those um, nonverbal prompts uh, clearer. Um, if there was indicators within the room uh, for, you know, um, if they're calling people to morning tea or lunch, uh, if there was sort of lights that, that may be flashed, they could be indicators for different people uh, in the shed with a, a hearing impairment. But we talked a lot about the workshop, but then I started to think after our conversation, there's a, a real busy, noisy room within any shed that has no machinery noise whatsoever, but there's a heck of a lot of sh- uh, chatter and uh, and things going on. And that's the, kin- uh, the kitchen, the lunchroom, uh, when the guys get together for morning tea and lunch. What would you do in that sort of environment where you have so many people speaking at the one time and you're trying to concentrate on the one person? Is there any sort of tips there that you could give us, Caitlin? Yeah, absolutely, Stuart. So the the general principles about making an environment hearing friendly are around reducing background noise and reducing reverberation. And so in a shed or many places, you know, it's concrete floor or a hard surface floor, you've got lots of hard surface tables, etc. In a kitchen or a kind of social space, it's more acceptable to have carpet or um, dare I say, tablecloths or curtains, you know, things on the hard surfaces that actually absorb the sound. And that might sound a bit trivial, but they're really important. So carpet um, or chairs that have fabric or leather on them, you know, some kind of softer surface, all these things put together kind of suck in the reverberation and the background noise, meaning that it's easier to hear. Same, Same rules go for lighting. So if you can reduce background noise, that's one. Second one is reducing distance. So have people sitting in smaller groups where they're closer to the people they're talking to. And the third one is lighting. And that's all about being able to see facial expressions and lip read. I've heard about things in rooms called like sound loops, I think they're called. And they're, they're a way of actually amplifying a particular person that may be, be talking through a, a microphone. But does that help on a one-on-one conversation uh, at all in that sort of environment? So a hearing loop or sometimes what's called a, um, a telecoil loop is a great piece of technology if people are wearing hearing devices that have that receiver. So it kind of needs it needs something to 
receive that message and put it into the ears and it needs something to send the message. So either someone needs to be speaking into a microphone that's connected to the loop or the microphone needs to transmit directly to the hearing aids. All of those things are possible, but the technology needs to be in place. And so it depends very much on who the the shedders are and what they're using. I mean, I'd probably say that given the kind of demographics, it's hearing loss is probably more common than not across um, these gents, but whether they're wearing hearing aids or not would be a factor. I think one thing to consider, Stuart, is if, if you're often having guest speakers or having one person talk, you know, tear a meeting or that kind of thing, having a microphone and having speakers, so talker is amplified for everyone, you know, that's actually the best solution in many ways because if you've got eight out of ten people with some level of hearing loss, um, you know, it benefits everyone to be able to hear that better. Caitlin, I've just looked at your website and there's a part that says creating change. Uh, I find that rather, um, it's capturing, capturing my imagination. But the other thing that captures my imagination is be part of the hearing equality movement. So hearing equality for everybody, I'm, I'm assuming, is going along there. What's that all about? Yeah. So Soundfair, Stuart, is, you know, we say we're, we're putting the more than ears in hearing. So what we're about is people and it's like, you know, hearing loss is day-to-day impacts, which are often social, which are often emotional and psychosocial. It's not just a change in your hearing. And that means we're talking about change in people's behaviour, how we communicate with people with hearing loss, how we set up rooms, like you've just asked. Um, So this idea of hearing loss, it's not like putting on glasses and you've solved your issue. You as an individual have solved your issue. Hearing loss is actually an issue for society. You know, we, we have to communicate differently. We have to be make environments more accessible and so that's the change we see that needs to happen and and this idea of hearing equality is kind of has a couple of meanings one is that access to hearing care is quite challenging for a lot of people Um, there's a government scheme which um, you have to be eligible for if you're a pensioner or have a government um card but you know for a lot of people it's private pay and it's a very it's an expensive um, system to be a part of hearing aids can cost anywhere from one thousand to twelve or more thousand dollars and they need to be replaced about every three to five years and um they do amazing things but it's costly and for a lot of people that's inaccessible so equality from that perspective access and also you know equal access to listening equal access to being social at your men's shed, equal access to cinemas, TV. Okay. So if somebody wanted to um, find out more about this, where would they go? Your website? They would go to our website, yeah. We'd welcome them to get in touch with us or, you know, social media if that's where people are at. Um, Facebook, Instagram, all those things, or give us a call. We have an office in Mount Waverley, which might be local to some people, but we we do a lot of work and we um, we talk to a lot of people over um, virtual conversations and bring people together for social events um, virtually. So we welcome people to get in touch with us if they're interested to learn more. Now, I, I do know you're Victoria-based, but you've got a nas- national reach through social media uh, and the like. That's what you're talking about there? That's correct, yes. So yeah. 
if the uh, guys would like to look, look up uh, soundfair.org.au, that's S-O-U-N-D-F-A-I-R.org.au, and uh, that way they can uh, get into this Creating Change uh, link that you have, um, look at the community settings, the hearing centres, uh, and the like, and maybe find out a little bit more, reach out and say, hey, how can uh, you assist our shed to uh, maybe be a little more uh, equality-minded when it comes to people with hearing disabilities uh, and uh, changes? Absolutely. And, Stuart, we have done work with organisation like um, Men's Shed before where we've gone out and actually, you know, gone and seen the environment and we can give advice and help to source materials or changes that are needed. Um, so we'd, we'd love to be very happy to do that for Shedders, but also we run these appointments which are called Connection Coaches where, um, and this can be done via telephone or the internet, um, we basically, you know, talk to someone about how the hearing is impacting their life and help connect them in with all the different resources or education that might need they might need to live well so even if you've got hearing aids and you've got an audiologist we can help you with kind of all the things that go around that Alongside that's called that. um, connection coach thank you very much dr caitlin barr for speaking with me today on the pulse thank you thank you Stuart. for a great range of resources and tools to help you live well head to the spanner in the works website you can just search it up or go to malehealth.org.au. Everything you hear on the Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. with Rick Woodchip. Ah, g'day, Shadows! Rick Woodchip here. How you all going today? I'm just sitting here on my front deck, coffee in the side and strumming me guitar. Yeah, I woke up this morning with a tune in my head and I wanted to get it down before I forgot it. It's still up there, but it's proven to be a bit of an issue getting it out. I do have one minor problem here, though. I must have still been half asleep and dreaming that I was one of the Beatles or something because I don't actually know how to play the guitar. Yeah, Shedders, this might come as quite a surprise to a lot of you, but old Rip can't actually play an instrument. Yeah, I know. But the good news is there's still plenty of time and enough fill in the think tank to teach this old dog a few new tricks. So, I've recently joined the Men's Shed Band, the Bandsaws. I'm not quite front and centre of the group, I'm just hanging around the peripherals for the moment, and the more musically articulate fellas are showing me the ropes, and I'm loving it. I've always wanted to learn an instrument to complement me vocal prowess, but either never had the time to give it a go, or thought it might be a bit past me. But now, I have a bit more time up my sleeve, and when I see some of those other fellas in the same position having a go, well, there's no excuses, is there? Also, they say that the brain's just like another muscle, and if you don't use it, you could very well lose it. And now I'm not running my own business anymore, I don't want it to go soft. But saying that, since I've got involved with the shed, I reckon I'm using the grey matter as much or even more as I ever used to. I've learned some stuff I never imagined I even wanted to learn. I guess you never know what you're capable of doing until you give it a go, 
and sometimes you just never give it a go because the opportunity never presents. But since being at the shed, I've picked up a whole bunch of new skills, as well as educating a few with some of my own skill sets. Turns out, I'm quite the craftsman, and my missus is reaping the benefits too. Last year, I refurbished her 50-year-old bookshelf that was looking a little bit like it was ready for the wood heat. And now, it's just like I bought one again. And I've even added a sprinkle of lead light into the decor. Not to mention some of the wooden toys I've made to put towards the Christmas drive for the local school. And, just between you and me, last winter, I needed my first beanie with the help from the ladies from the CWA coming down to give a few lessons. Yeah, I truly am a jack-of-all-trades now. I've even surprised myself a few times with some of my hidden talents, but I never would have thunk it if not for the shed. And at least, for now, I'm keeping the Melons Matter match fit. And when I nail this guitar thing, the world might be the beneficiary of yet another classic melody. Anyway, fellas, I better keep practising before this masterpiece is lost. See you next time, fellas. See ya! What a journey we've been on today. Just a reminder, if this episode has brought anything up for you, please seek help immediately. Lifeline is a 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention service. Call on 131114 or visit lifeline.org.au. Remember to share the podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to follow along on Spotify if you can or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash the shed wireless. Until next time, folks, for the love of shedding. Is your game Everyone's the same Yeah, we can do it all At the men's shed Short, fat, tall, skinny Hairy, bald In the shed It's welcome one and all Share the skills you know We're all happy